Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And today, back on the podcast, we got somebody I think everybody likes. Well, uh, no, in fact, I'll take that back. There are some people. There are some people that don't like Steve Meister, but uh, one, one or two. It's uh, come up. I ain't got time for them. I I don't care about them. I care about my friends. I care about guys that are doing gospel ministry well. And Steve, you are one of those guys that I I respect. Um, I look to for for wisdom and insight. And I'm just grateful for how God's using you. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, brother. It's a joy to be with you. Thanks for the encouragement. So you're done with the COVID thing? Y'all, y'all, you feeling better? I'm feeling much better. It's my uh, third time around the COVID carousel. And so hopefully uh, um, it's getting shorter every time. So that's good. Oh, okay. So do you think there's something in the water out there in California that's uh, like, why, how come? Yeah, you know, it's I, this is for our sins, you know, and oh, there, the, there are many and great. So Yeah, it's liberal California. That's what you get. That's right. It's all Newsom's right. fault. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, if you guys don't know, if our listeners don't know, uh, Steve Meister is uh, the preaching pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sacramento, California. Is that right? Is that Sacramento? That's right, Sacramento, okay. right here in California. I get I get the names mixed up because I'm so unfamiliar with the state, but uh, at least I know. I, I couldn't find you in California. Somebody dropped me off. I wouldn't know where to go. I assume south. Is that southern California? So we're more, it's where the, the tip of central California, you oh. know, formally. We're in an hour, a little over an hour just east of San Francisco. So oh. I can go to Giants games and be parked in a little over an hour nice. uh, in the Bay. So we're just... You, if you find San Francisco on the map and you go east about an inch, that's where we're at. Now, is there enough space, enough distance, enough buffer between you and, say, Richard Barcelos? <laughs> there is. There's well, that's probably there's a good seven seven hours about Holy, six hours. I forget. So, so it's good. I forget how big California is. It's like Texas, but just yeah. stretched uh, vertically. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's microcosms. Even if you think of the country has uh, various parts, the same thing. There's parts of California that are very uh, agricultural and rural in the mm-hmm. central part of the state. And uh, so it, it's it's far more than you'll pick up on television, that's for sure. You need to come out sometime and see us. I always like to remind Canadians when they start like talking big that uh, California has uh, more more people in it than all of Canada. That's, uh, that's right. <laughs> this is a bizarre country, man. We are huge. So you you got COVID. You're you you've come through that. I know that that I've, I've had it twice. The first time was a nightmare. It was really bad. Second time I just felt like I had a a bat the flu, you know, or something. Um, you're back at it. Uh, you've you've gone through conference. You've been. What's going on? What's new? Is now that you've you've hopefully you're feeling good and things are getting back to normal. Anything new happening there at the church? Yeah, we're hitting the ground running for our, you know, fall into winter. Looking forward to Reformation Day Sunday coming up and preaching a special message um, geared that way. And then in a, uh, a week or two weeks from now, really heading down to Southern California. Speaking of uh, the Barcelos, uh, Richard, going to spend some time with him at cool. the uh, Southern California Reformed Baptist Pastors Conference and 
I'm actually have the privilege to preach at uh, Trinity Church in La Mirada the Lord's Day before and for their quarterly meeting that evening. So just really looking forward to the opportunity to minister and being able to fellowship with my brothers for uh, next week. Nice. Nice. Now, I heard that you were preaching a message for Reformation Day called Reforming the Culture. And it's uh, it's all about, you know, how to how to how the, how the church is, is supposed to really sort of take over uh, the culture and uh, and reform it and turn it into really like a like a Zion of sorts. Is, is that true? Yeah, that's why we're here actually in Sacramento. We're, we're not six blocks from the state capital for nothing. That's what I thought. Uh, no, I'm actually going to focus on, funny you bring that up, focus on the concept of Christian liberty that um, came out of the Reformation mm. and our chapter 21 in our confession, the impact that has on the um, leadership and the focus of Christ pastors in the church and going to look at Second Corinthians chapter 1 and Paul's remark that we don't lord it over your faith, but we're fellow workers for your joy and the significance of our theological and ministerial authority and um, differentiating from the lordship of Roman Catholicism and other false authorities in the church. Nice. Nice. That sounds great, man. Well, listen, I know one of the things that you and I wanted to talk about um, relates to, well, <laughs> relates to the Reformation uh, in, a, in a number of ways, and that is the, the value of conflict, of, of debate, that there is it is oftentimes good and necessary for the church and for and for pastors and theologians to engage in disagreement uh, in order to and to, to to make progress, right? To 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 gain right. greater clarity, uh, to overcome error, and to promote the truth. And I, I think this is good to talk about because I think a lot of people, like there are different kinds of people, right? Some people love fighting and they love controversy and they love that stuff. Um, and I used to, but maybe it's cause I'm just old. I don't know, but I, I get very weary of all of the fighting and sniping and snarkiness and cynicism that I see, especially in social media. And I think that people who feel the weight of bad conflict or ugly conflict can get so weary or turned off that they don't see value in any of it. Like we should just not argue, right? Let's just stop it. Let's just all just just try to get along. And you, as you and I were talking, you were saying that now, listen, conflict and disagreement and debate, fighting is sometimes really good and necessary. Is that what you were saying when we were talking earlier? Yeah, it's and the scripture leads us to that expectation. And it's important, something we'd recognize as a truism in all of life, that just because something is unpleasant doesn't mean it's unnecessary. Right. Maybe the easiest example would be something like medical treatment that we need to um, you know, keep us healthy, even save our lives. And often that's, we know, very unpleasant, but it's it's very necessary if we're going to live. And in the same way, that's that's what's true about conflict and controversy or what you might call polemics in the church and the needy to fight for the truth. Um, scripture gives us no expectation that will ever cease before the Lord returns. Um, we're called the church militant for a reason, and we have uh, exhortations and commands in Scripture given to especially church leaders and the church in general to um, guard the faith, to wage the good warfare, right. to contend for the faith. And so uh, our Lord expects us to uh, fulfill our really um, calling that was given to even Adam to protect God's presence in the uh, um, in Eden, the first temple. And in the same way in the church, we're called to protect the, the regard for the peace and purity of the church and the glory of God by preserving the truth. And that often requires 
um, unpleasant things, difficult things, wearying things, everything you said, I agree with 100%. Um, but it's necessary. And we shouldn't have a naive expectation. Otherwise, something, you know, that would be akin to kind of the naive idea that we don't need law enforcement anymore, or we, we won't need militaries or these kinds of things. As long as the heart of man remains what it is, we're going to need to have to have both defensive and corrective measures, uh, even in the church. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's good. And I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, there, 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 there was pushback, especially during that whole emerging church uh, boom uh, back in the day, where they many of them were taking issue with the military metaphors uh, that Christians would use, that scripture actually uses, but that Christians would actually oftentimes use in uh, either just, you know, casting vision for their churches or the songs that we would sing. And I understand, I understood where they were coming from to a degree, right? That uh, if that's, if that is everything to you, then you're, you're not very nuanced to use an unpopular word today or balanced. Uh, but you can't get away from that in scripture. You can't read Old Testament or New Testament. You can't read either one for, for very long at all without seeing that fighting conflict uh, defense. Like the, these are things that we are all called to do. And anything that is valuable is worth defending. I don't care how tired you are. If if your family is in danger, you will defend it. You will defend right. them. You will stand up and fight. You know. So I, I I get why some people, you know, on an emotional level, or even maybe they've gotten a bad taste in their mouth because of bad examples of it, start to turn away. But the the, the call to contend for the faith, uh, the the call to 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 fight, to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, and then to stand up against false teaching and false teachers and to call them out, all of that is uh, is just too clear in scripture. But but before we before you because uh, I'd like to hear you you're, you unpack a little bit about how like the, the the good that is coming out of good conflict, right? The good that's coming out of contending for the faith, even among brothers and sisters. Um, what do you what's your take on the current climate and uh, of the of the controversies and disagreements among, to use an unpopular word today, evangelical, I don't know how else to say it, you know, those that not just are confessionally orthodox, but uh, but those who exist within the, the, the pro orthodox Protestant evangelical sort of tradition. What's your take on the, on the state of, of controversy and fellowship, uh, especially as we look at it's, it's mostly sort of, uh, or at least it's highlighted in social media. Um, is is there debate? Is there healthy debate? Is it unhealthy debate? I mean, I know there's. We could say it's all there, but what is the predominant sort of spirit of uh, of controversy today? Well, I think social media exacerbates and in so many ways, and we can all recognize that. I would hesitate though to wholly ascribe what we witnessed today to social media. If you go back to the Reformation and look at some of the pamphlet wars that oh, yeah. Luther and Geist were writing, I mean, it's just as uh, sometimes caustic and even shocking to us on how um, brothers were interacting with each other and, and fighting for the for what they believed scripture was right. truly to teach. So in some ways there's, you know, it's the t there's nothing new under the sun. There's no golden age behind us that we have missed. Um, it's always been messy and scripture gives us that impression. Um, obviously there's good, bad and ugly evident in front of us at all times. Um, and we can give, I'm sure ready examples of our own experience to all of the above. I think in general though, we, we shouldn't forget what the Lord is doing sovereignly 
when um, his church and his ministers are properly guarding the good deposit. And I often will think of that in Second Timothy chapter one, um, the relationship that Paul has, where where he says his he's there in prison. We know it's his, his last epistle. He's heading to martyr, martyrdom, and he seems aware of that. And he writes that he is confident that God is able to guard what's been entrusted to him. Right. That is, God will preserve the gospel. And then two verses later, he tells Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you, what he's given to him. And the means by which God guards his gospel is by his church guarding the gospel. And just like so many other um, elements of the means of grace and other um, aspects of Christian faith and life, we understand there's a distinction between the efficient cause, which is God and his sovereign purposes, and the um, uh, uh, effective means that he uses, which is through us and through his church. And so um, we are part of God guarding the gospel. Um, we, he uses his church he works through us as his instruments. And so we can't be neglectful of this. Now we have instructions in scripture how we do it, and it can be done badly. It can be done for selfish motives, just like every other aspect of right. Christian life and ministry. But it can also be done for a God-glorifying end. And I think you see all of the above. And the benefit that is so critical that we ought not to miss is that conflict, controversy, when it's done well, and when debates are done, and they're rigorous, and they're fair-minded, the truth is exposed. Um, the the quip, I think, has a lot of truth to it, that heresy precedes orthodoxy. That, and what we mean by that is not that we don't construct orthodoxy positively from the revelation of right. God in Scripture, but that the fights help us clarify uh, where the rub points are with our own intuitions, assumptions, um, and, and differing through the logical options that Scripture gives us. Um, and it's not for nothing that all of our um, well-known creedal formularies going all the way back to Nicaea, down through the Second London Confession, uh, were all born out of controversy. And uh, I, I agree with J. Gresham Machen at the beginning of his Christianity liberalism that the, the things about which men agree upon are apt to be the things least important to hold. The things about which are most important are the things about which men will fight. And so we shouldn't have the attitude that, well, people are fighting about it, then it's unimportant. That can right. really lead you to a very nominal, lowest common denominator, effectively moralism. Um, everything we hold dear from the triune being of God, the person of Christ, and certainly the Gospels we know coming out of the Reformation was all born out of fighting and the clarity that God has given us. Um, I think one passage of Scripture I often point to and help people with is Second, uh, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter eleven, uh, verse nineteen, where Paul, referring to the factionalism in Corinth, says, "Actually, there must be factions among you, so that those who are genuine, genuine may be proved." Mm. And that, um, and I think that theological principle. Uh, we can reflect more on, and just how factions, conflict, debates actually helps us if we engage it and view it properly, helps us see what's true, what's genuine, and bring clarity to God's Word. Yeah, that's good, right? I mean, that, that's helpful because, I mean, it is reality. It, it, embrace it, right? There's, I know yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a veteran, uh, but I have friends who are, and one of the sayings that I know one of the things that they say, and I think it's made its way um, – into the civilian word world is embrace the suck, right? Like what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. this is going to be awful. This is going to be rough, right. but it is what it is. So don't try to avoid it. Go head on smartly, strategically, you know, but go like embrace it. And I know, I know people that think like, let's just, let's not fight. Let's just focus on what we agree on. Fine. Give it a couple years. 
Because those things that you all agree on, something will give and you'll start disagreeing on some of those things that you thought you all agreed on. Just give it time because, uh, yeah, the the, the heart of of man is uh, deceitful. It is wicked. So I, yeah, I, I do, I do think that it's, it's important to, to recognize not only, and this is why I think it's, it's good to talk about because what you're saying is, is like, no, this, it's not only reality that there's going to be conflict and therefore it's, it's not only important that we engage it in a godly way, but it's also a means for good. Like it's something that God, you know, uses for our advantage. It's, it's not like, oh, we're just, you know, we're getting punked by the devil here. Like God orchestrates all things and and then moves the pieces so that the truth does come out. And th- this is one of the things that I love about about truth is it, it doesn't always lead to the end that I want. But in many of my conversations with people, non-Christians as well as Christians, is let's just let me just put up both propositions and unpack them just honestly and fairly. Look at them both. Which one holds up? You know what I mean? Like just let's just put it out there and, and let people look at them. Uh, that that I've, I've I've had a lot of I've seen a lot of people begin to change their minds, the way that they think or the way that they live, just by having a really clear picture of both positions. Yeah. I don't have to talk them out of something as much as just like look look at these both, and now you tell me which one which one is more biblical here or which one is doing more damage. However, you think about it. So with with the whole um idea of of controversy being a, a, an ongoing reality always has been and even something that you know god says very clearly that you know he he uses these things to you know exalt the truth or even exalt his people we're more than conquerors even in death um what are the controversies today that that are prominent that maybe weren't so prominent 10 years ago 20 years ago are there do you see controversies that are um that are big now because I'll, I'll just tell you like it seems like yep. and, and i'm not saying these things aren't important but like i remember in the 90s it was a whole it was different things there was there was open theism i remember on a the theological end mm-hmm. and a whole lot of creation versus evolution stuff um today i'm not seeing as much of that i'm, I'm seeing other things what what is more current and and sort of hot button today well i think related to what you just identified is those same issues are still there and in many ways you could even maybe suggest and this will get me in trouble but you know uh the idea that open theism never really went away um even some of its hermeneutical assumptions were actually imbibed among by conservatives and we conceded far too much uh probably in well-intended ignorance that's always a danger in controversy and that when we're engaging uh, or in apologetics or these kinds of, of, of um, moving out to engage others, it's always in a danger that we um, concede too much and don't recognize how um, where we need to stand in terms of our first principles. And that's what I would say is really uh, at the forefront of controversies today is the first principles of uh, what we know, how we know it, uh, the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of God. And even as that touches on the person of Christ um, and uh, creation and providence, I mean, all of those things are there. Um, and the way I've described it to some of the brothers in our church when they ask, you know, what, where did this all come from? I said, well, you know, to be honest, I, I think some of it is we all of a sudden notice that there are marches going down our city with guys in dresses saying that they're women because they feel like it. And we realize that maybe, you know, 
maybe the Western world took a, a, a wrong turn at Albuquerque uh, and, and we need to rethink some of these things. And we need to reassess just how much we imbibed the modernist um, and the, the uh, hypermodern. Uh, I would agree with J.B. Fesco that postmodernism is, a, is, a, is not an accurate label. It's more hypermodern. And some of those principles that even go back to the Enlightenment and around that era and into the founding of our country, and how much of that was just assumed by us, it was unchecked, and even through the, the modernist fundamentalist controversies of the 20th century, um, even the fundamentalists didn't realize just how modernist they also were and were agreeing with their opponents and needing to recover some of the wisdom and the things that actually Christians have agreed upon uh, down through the centuries up until recently. And so these things are before us, and they really reflect in so many ways um, the battles that we see in our culture. And I think that's to be expected. None, none of us can, we're, we're all fish in a fishbowl, and we can't pretend otherwise. We're impacted by the things that go on around us. And so even as we might be familiar with uh, the debates over critical theory, the debates over uh, individualism, what you might call, um, you know, what Carl Truman's made popular, expressive individualism, and, and helping us see those kind of categories, those same dynamics are present among us. And how often Christians um, view their own engagement with God's word as an individual enterprise that they can do autonomously, um, and how often the study of scripture, the formulating of doctrine, has been done in isolated sectors, um, even academic sections disconnected from the community of the saints, both now and in the past and in the church. And so all of these trends that are so um, prominent to us in the headlines in our society and maybe bother us more because of that, um, they're present in the church. They just show up in different ways. Mm. And it takes discernment. It takes uh, a level of humility. It takes self-criticism to realize, you know what, we've drunk from wells that were not so pure as we thought. We're just as impacted um, by the modern trends. Now, I'm not a member of the LGBTQ movement in any way, shape, or form, but I'm impacted by the same underlying philosophies that has led to that kind of sure. expressive rebellion against God. And so I need to recognize where that shows up in me and in the church and in, in our own doctrinal formulation. And so I really think these things are front and center for us. They're difficult because it's hard to see what you see with, and our assumptions are often, um, so many of our assumptions are unchecked and unexamined, and we're in a process of doing that. Now, I'm greatly encouraged by it. I think that we're heading to greater uh, uh, understanding. We're heading to greater even Catholicity and unanimity amongst Christians of a variety of stripes, um, but it, there is going to be fighting along the way, and even lines are going to be redrawn as some of these things, uh, some brothers don't want to examine them. And there's, there's just, in their minds, too much cost to what they've already invested mm. to uh, rethink uh, their public statements. And that's something that I, I, I want you to, to, to address in, in a little bit. So I'll just I'll tease this and as you can start to, to think about it. But And that is, sure. is, how do we fail in the midst of controversy? What are some of the ways in which because of how we are involved or engaging it, we wind up, even if we have the truth, are ultimately failing. How are, how are some ways that, what should we avoid uh, when we're doing this? But as you were talking about that, you know, you, you talked about first principles and the idea that we, we really do need to, when looking at these areas of conflict, controversy, is to not just look at the one point that's being articulated, but what supports it, what undergirds it, like where did it come right. from? Um 
And whereas, you know, like I mentioned open theism, like everybody was talking about open theism in the 90s, at least in my my circles. Mm-hmm. And uh, and pretty much everybody in my circles were like, yeah, we're down, we're, we're, we reject open theism. We, you know, we, we don't believe in that. And then um, today, those same people, some of those, some of those same people uh, would still say that they reject open theism, but they are promoting doctrines that, I think are, are incorrect and have a connection to a, a misunderstanding of God, those first principles that, that, that you had mentioned. And so uh, w- is it fair to say, I mean, cause I know in, in the Reformed Baptist world, like there's been a lot of attention uh, and controversy among Reformed Baptists uh, in, you know, some of the, some of these places uh, about say um, uh, d- divine impassibility, uh, things like that. It, so like I, I've seen that, and I know there was a big split in Arbka, you know, years ago over this, um, that there was a big controversy over impassibility and a few other things, um, the eternal subordination of the sun, um, and the the, the, new, the newest thing that I've seen being articulated, which I find to be very helpful, like for me, is uh, the doc, the doctrines of the sufficiency of scripture, what sola scriptura means, and hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely. I know where I have been trained in seminary, they definitely taught me a very modern hermeneutic. And these are these are these are like institutions that are like Bible, Bible alone. They love the scripture, they love the Lord. Uh, you know, they're fully invested. But uh, it was it was definitely a, a, an overly simplistic modern hermeneutic. Are those things that I just talked about? Are those fair to say that that those are? some of the things that you were sort of had in mind when you mentioned like these first principles and how they've, how the controversies are still connected to the old doctrines. We don't have that many doctrines, uh, but they're manifesting themselves in some different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And they're some of the most difficult things to unwind. And our historical ignorance is so great by and large that we think we have agreement with guys in the past when really what we're exposing when we say that is um, just our our ignorance of what they were actually saying. And I know that's been true for me in the past, and sure. that's true for many. I see, um, and I'm, I'm with you in terms of the hermeneutics I was taught. And really what we're talking about, in the, what, the distinction you were making is the difference between material principles and formal principles. Often in a debate, we're fighting over the material issue of what's being contended. So in the Reformation, the main material principle we'd point to is the doctrine of justification. How are we can be, how can sinners be right before a holy God? Right. But then that leads to then the formal principle, mm-hmm. which is, well, how do we decide that? And what became clear in the Reformation, for example, is that the Roman Catholics and the Reformers were coming at it from two different starting points. Yeah. And in the same way, you see that same thing reflected here. So you might have a material issue, let's just say the doctrine of impassibility or, or divine simplicity, because they all they all hang together the, the um, uh, attributes of God's being. Um, those might be the material things that are being fought about. But what's underneath it, and what many don't even recognize is that actually, it's how we arrive at those things that are really the issue. And our understanding of how we read scripture, our understanding of even how we read church historians and their uh, or, or brothers in, in, in the past, how we read historical theology and what they were actually saying, that's that's all needing to be reassessed. And it's very difficult um, for us to recognize that. I know I've gone through the pain myself, and I can see it in others to admit that, man, the hermeneutics I got taught in seminary, maybe 20, even 30 years ago, they were bogus. 
and I need to relook at not everything, right. but some really key aspects of that. And that's where humility is necessary and the need for us to um, really be as much as possible, seek to be uh, uh, conscious of what we're mm. assuming and the yeah. principles we're bringing to, to any debate. We're so keen to pick a side. You know, we're so keen to like sort yeah. of adopt because it's easier. It's easier to go, I like this team or I like this guy. Okay, if he said it, I'm all in. Like, okay, this yeah. is good. And we just, we're not really doing the work and that's easier. Yeah. And I, I, I've done that. I think most of us have, yeah. have done that. I remember in seminary, um, I had Bob Stein and I really like Bob Stein, Robert Stein. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I read almost all of his books before I even got to seminary. Um, and so I got to seminary and he was there. I'm like, cool. I'm gonna take Bob Stein, synoptic scholar. So whatever. And then um, I took him for her- hermeneutics class. This is at Southern Seminary dynamic teacher very very good lovable guy like everything about him and you know his big thing is say for example in the parables parables have one point parables have one point and um and so like i remember you know he would he would articulate this and uh then i would be in dr tom nettle's class and uh he would be unpacking keach and how keach approached the parables and i i remember a student you know he did what i did in bible college and i learned the hard way not to do that or the Lord will humble you. Uh, but he did it in this class. He said something like, uh, he raises his hand and he's like, uh, Dr. Nettles, uh, parables only have one point, okay? And, uh, you know, Dr. Stein says, bah, 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 bah. and I remember, because Dr. Nettles was always so kind. He, he was never, I wanted, I wanted him to slap people in the head sometimes. Their <laughs> students are so dumb, were so rude, and he was always so kind. But I remember he had this look on his face like he couldn't comprehend like why someone, someone would say something so silly. And he was like, okay. And I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, you know, he, started to make, he started to go back in history and unpack like you know faithful expositions and the way even uh, scripture uh, interprets itself to sort of disprove a hard point like that that is this absolute hard point because i i found myself going well yeah uh, yeah generally i think and i think it's fair to say that you know jesus usually driving at one point when he has a parable but that's not the end of it there's a there's a lot more to it and so i know that what we were taught and it's almost like they they gave us a, a bit uh, they got a, a bit of truth when it came to hermeneutics, but what they left off is was some of the most important stuff for really making sense of scripture. So, okay, so when it comes to um, conflict and controversy and anything else you want to say, I, I want if you've got something that you really like, you know, eager to talk about, I want to hear it. But I did want to hear you speak to the issue of how should we be careful when we're engaging in conflict, uh, controversy, so that we don't blow it because we've all done that. You know, we've all like overreacted or whatever. And like, wow, I was on the right side, but I, I made a mess of it. How do we, yeah. how do we engage without, without ruining what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah. Let me, let me get to that by going to what you just, the illustration you just used with parables okay. and, and Dr. Nettles. And I, cause I was the same in terms of my background, what I was taught hermeneutically and theologically. I used to teach EFS. I didn't know any better. Um, that was what I was given. It's biblical, right? Um, and it wasn't until many of the debates in 2015, moving into 2016, that um, I started noticing, well, there's a controversy here, so there's something up, which gave me pause. And I definitely had a side and a leaning. And it wasn't until someone who was would have been on my side at that mm-hmm. point actually wrote in, a, in one of the articles going back and forth, 
um, I have no idea what eternal generation means. And that just picked me up out of my seat. Wow. And I went, wait a minute. So you're rejecting something and you're admitting you have even no idea what you're mm. rejecting. And then that forced me to, or, you know, ins- you know, to keep digging and then eventually come up on the other side and switch teams. Um, and I think that's shows as illustrative, at least experientially for me. And I know I've heard many other different forms of, of, of that experience. Uh, the, the, what good can come out of our controversies and debates as we're paying attention to the truth. And I think that's a reminder then going into your question, how are we to engage in it? We need to have a, a focused and sober um, uh, assessment and engagement in what is true. Um, we need to um, do it in a way that by the grace of God, hopefully, and this is very difficult to do, I've failed at numerous times, uh, even sinfully so, but that we're not waging war against flesh and blood, as the scripture yeah. says. Um, and so it's about principles, not people. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really hard when people are sinning against you and, and in other ways to not make it about them. Um, but that's what we're called to. And we can even think of the instructions that Paul gave to Timothy in Second uh, Timothy 2, 23 to 25, about how the Lord's servant conducts himself in controversy. And he corrects his opponents with gentleness. Um, and the going on that God may grant them repentance and that, that idea of re- spiritual restraint and self-control and m- continuing to press the truth of God's word on people's consciences and not making it a, um, a cage match about personalities. That can be very difficult. It's yeah. easier said than done, um, but it is what we're to aspire towards. Um, and when we're in any kind of debate or any kind of controversy, being as open-minded as possible to the fact that that either one or both, if we're just going to say there's two sides simplistically in a debate, either one or both of them are wrong. Right. And so having that self-conscious awareness that you may be the wrong party um, and that you may be the one who needs to concede and needs to change, it's hard. It's yeah. difficult, especially when you're a pastor and you preach sermons that you now have to say, well, that, that was not good. Um, or you have to even change theological traditions, which I've done, uh, it's difficult. You even lose friends. Um, and just, but just being willing to, to do that is because Christ deserves our most sincere efforts in preserving, uh, the truth in his church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other issue that needs to maintain uppermost is that, um, this is about the souls of God's people. And this is about the eternal souls of mortal men and women. And we need to be preserving the gospel for our generation and any succeeding generations to come. And I often remind people that, look, if we don't make a stand on this issue now, we're essentially kicking the can down the road to our children or grandchildren. And who knows? And church history is full of examples where errors that started in a you know a small way in one generation become full-blown heresies later. Yeah. And so this is really about us preserving the truth for um, by God's grace until the Lord returns for us. And so we need to maintain that uh, perspective and we need to be willing to endure the cost that is we must pay in order to do that. That's really where the concept of sacrifice and service as ministers, especially and as pastors, needs to be uppermost. I think, to be honest, brother, one of the most disappointing things I observe and have observed in several quarters is brothers who are unwilling to correct others 
because of the cost to them, yeah. especially in opportunities for platforms, publishing, and other ways that they might advance themselves publicly. Um, I even know in the midst of current controversies, brothers who agree with what I believe is the truth, the truth privately, but are unwilling publicly to pay that cost. And what they're essentially saying, I think, and I don't think it's conscious, I'm not putting these malicious motives, but what they're essentially saying is, is that ministering the truth of God's word to God's people is not worth the knock it might be for my own personal ambition and advancement in whatever way I see in whatever circle. And that's really, um, may God drive that kind of spirit and heart away from us. Uh, may we not be man-fearers. We're not living yeah. to please man or serving to please them. This is about the purity of the gospel and about maintaining truth. Now that assumes that we're doing, this is another issue that's really important in controversy, that assumes that we're doing a proper, what's been called theological triage, or a proper right. understanding of ordering of doctrines, and we're not going to blows over tertiary or even secondary things, that we we save our our biggest guns, if you will, our, mm -hmm. our most ammunition for those things of first importance, those first principles, and that we properly moderate our differences um, accordingly. So we don't, we should, we ought not to have the same kind of debates over, uh, you know, eschatological details as we would about things about the being of God yeah. or the authority of scripture or the gospel. And so that's really critical as we engage this. But uh, above all, we, we can't shy away, especially those of us who are in office in the church and have any um, public accountability in our teaching and preaching. We can't shy away from this as a function of our responsibility and certainly not for our own selfish interests. Mm. And there's so much joy to be had, right? If if you persevere in this, it, it, I guess I, you know, one of the things I think about is I, I liked what you said. I'll, I'll put it this way: I liked what you said that you know, um, in controversy, in these debates, uh, we need to have a, a, a focused, sober engagement, uh, you know, with humility, recognizing that, like, listen, I could be in the wrong here. And for me, a, a part of that is we ought to be hopeful. Right, because we, we do have God's truth. We do have God's Amen. spirit. And so and we do have God's church. So like we should be hopeful. Like I want people to go into all of this and to look through the mess and go like, hey, you know what? The the truth is going to come out. And and it and it can be understood, it can be embraced. Uh, like people's minds do change. God does sanctify his people. So instead of just being pessimistic about the whole thing and just being like, well, they're just going to be wrong and I'm going to be wrong. I think we should be hopeful. And that I think would help us to engage uh, in, in a somewhat different way than what I oftentimes see. Because what I see are in, in some of these uh, debates and some of these, not debates, not the formal debates, but in some of the controversy and conflict, what I see are, are people not really trying to change another person's mind as much as I see them just venting and just yeah. sort of, and it's like, well, that's, don't you want me to be right? If, yeah. And if you think I'm wrong, you want me to be right, then lead me there. But just yelling yeah. at me ain't gonna, that's not going to do it. And yeah. so I like, I, I think that a sense of hopefulness maybe would, would make us be a bit more gentle because I mean, you know, so many of the commands about correction in the new Testament in, include doing so in gentleness. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, there's a difference when you're dealing with a false teacher and whatnot. But in terms of brothers and sisters, gentleness is supposed to be a part of it. And I think people, you know, wrongly conclude like, well, oh, so you just, just got to use soft words and not say anything hard. Like that's not the point. But the point is, I think, to honor and respect one another 
and and I, I've seen it done very very well, uh, but I've also seen it go go very wrong, and that's always a, a hard a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. But but something that you say a lot, and I'm, I think other people have said it too, but I've heard you. You were the first person I heard say it. I think, and that is principles, not people. Um, in 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 all of the debating, um, like when I when I've talked to guys that I respect. And I ask them a specific question. If I bring up somebody or uh, or a particular uh, book, uh, like a, a few people now have said have said something like that. Like, listen, I'm not talking about the person here. I'm talking about the principle. I'm not, I just want to make that very clear. Like, I'm not yeah. I'm not mad at this guy. Uh, I just disagree with this particular understanding of it. I think that's because when you make it personal, you've 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 essentially lost. You've you've lost because anybody who is on that side is already for that person, and so and you just and essentially you went ad hominem and now they're just they're not even going to listen it's yeah. also ungodly yeah. it's also just yeah. ungodly so right it, it, it's it's really difficult and obviously you know properly you can't separate principles and people because principles come from people but what we're trying to say there is that we are wanting to deal with the truth and win people over it's not a personal thing we're right. not out to get somebody and i think i would just add to that that's especially um, critical all the more now as our culture and even in the church has the inability to make that distinction. And we recognize that in, in all accounts. We we know, for example, in the prominent cultural debates that if we disagree with somebody, then all of a sudden we hate them or we've done violence to them. Right. And let me tell you, that's present in the church so much. Yeah. Um, I've interacted with people over theological issues, even some that we're talking about, and they've responded with, well, why do you hate me? Or why are you out to get me? I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, and so we need to really press that um, it is difficult to do. I failed in it. It's an easy principle to hold to. Principles, not people. Doctrines, not dudes. But um, it is something we need to continually aspire to and, and seek to be uh, corrected toward. Yeah, it is funny because I do see I do see what you're talking about. Like some people are, you know, and, it's, and oftentimes the, the loudest people. Uh, but sometimes we can be very overly sensitive, you know, when when people are correcting us on on a position, which we just like you said should be open i I like to think ideologically i'm I'm pretty open-minded i've got the bible right and it's the word of god i'm not open about that not being the word of god i'm this is the word of god now now you can use that to convince me let's go i I like to at least ideally think ideologically i want to be open-minded so i think but we can be so sensitive on the one hand but then on the other end is like we've gotten a part of our culture now is just like owning the libs, you know, destroying like, oh, that guy murdered. It's just, you know, and listen, there's, there is, I think there's a time and a place for a, a funny smackdown sort of a thing. But like, the, but we don't, listen, I, I don't care who you voted for, um, pro Trump, anti Trump, whatever, but that persona and that approach mm-hmm. was magnetic. It was exciting. People loved it. And it, it, it's that, and I'm not saying it's just him. I think he was a symptom, um, yep. but like that's a part of our culture now, and that is definitely in the church. Destroying, owning, you know, and just this boastful. And it's nothing like Jesus, who had yeah. all authority and power and did not revile in return. Uh, yep. But no one was ever more right than Jesus. Right. <laughs> so well, it's just entertainment. That. We have to recognize so many quote unquote ministries and online personalities yeah. i've tried to you know i certainly encourage our church and other brothers i'm like you have to understand he's in the entertainment business the same way many of our news programs our no. news programs by and large in our culture and yes. american society they are not interested in brokering unanimity in the electorate 
and us having an accurate understanding. They're there for us to tune in yeah. for dollars and, you know, they're, they're sponsors. And in the same way, there's so many Christian ministries. I'm like, guys, this is just entertainment. That's what it's designed to do to get the clicks. And um, you just have to recognize that phenomenon when it shows up and then just act accordingly. And there are there are conversations, if you want to call them, or debates or controversy, they're just not worth engaging in. And we see that in Scripture because, as Paul says, there are foolish controversies that we just walk away from and ignore. Mm, that's good. That's good. So final words, final thoughts for, for all of our listeners. Um, they're going to go on social media. They're going to see... They're going to see some drama. What's your word to them? Well, I, I often think in controversy about something John Owen said, and it's been certainly true in some of the controversies I've been involved in and engaged in, that when we have communion with God and the things of which we're um, fighting for, we'll be garrisoned against all the assaults of men. And I think that is helpful in a number of ways. One, if we're fighting over something that is not a part of our communion with the Lord and worship of Him Himself, then it probably shouldn't be something we're fighting about, period. Um, the other issue is that we do need to be guarded against the assaults of men, not just um, so that we don't get overly discouraged, but also so that we don't respond in the flesh out of a sense of self-righteous vengeance or any other way. And so we need to have a prayerful communion with the Lord in the midst of it. And I, I just think that principle is so helpful. And when we are worshiping God in the things which we're fighting for, we're going to have a right valuation of their worth. We're going to have a right valuation of the necessity of guarding them. We're going to understand the implications for it so we can explain it to others when they ask, why are you fighting about this? And we say, well, this is why it's important. And then by his grace, we'll engage it, hopefully, the way he commands us in his word. And um, we'll stay, uh, hopefully, conformed to the Lord and, and continually being sanctified by him in the midst of it. So I, I would just give that encouragement and exhortation that it— Hopefully, in the right sense, our uh, polemical engagement is an overflow of our devotional life. Oh, that's good, man. That's awesome. That, that, that's actually that's actually very encouraging. Um, listen, like engage the debates, uh, the controversy as much as 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 you need to, as, as much as you can. But just please, people, <laughs> brothers and sisters, uh, love and value your church. Like invest invest your time there. Because uh, if there's controversy there, and when there's controversy, it matters more than than anywhere else, really. So make sure that you're 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 investing locally as much as possible, and don't try to live everything uh, virtually, uh, especially when it comes to the nature of Christian faith, life, and community. Uh, Steve, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate you, uh, yeah, all absolutely. that you're doing. Can't wait to to talk to you again. Uh, hope you come back soon. Love to, brother. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'd appreciate it if you tell a friend. If you like uh, what we do here, what Jimmy and I are normally doing, uh, bringing on some cool guests, uh, let your friends know. Spread the word. Leave us an honest five-star review on iTunes. And uh, check out our podcast. It's every Monday and Thursday. And if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe to All Access. All Access will not only give you the Monday and Thursday episodes, but you'll get theological meditations and reflections Monday through Friday, as well as the Banter of Truth podcast every Tuesday. Visit us at doctrineanddevotion.com or you can find us on social media at Doc and Devo. We'll see you around. Mm-hmm.